same as witnesses where I talked to the Catholic behind the account. So I'm speaking with Jose Rodriguez, who is an educator, a husband, a father, and he's also co-host of the podcast Conversations on Tap. I'm glad to have him here today to discuss, you know, his dynamic and amazing faith journey and, you know, what it's like to be an educator uh, and how he inserts his Catholic faith uh, in that profession. So thank you for coming today. You know, thank you, Efren, for inviting me to be on your show. I'm a longtime listener, first time caller, as they say. Also, I just want to mention, too, that uh, it's such an honor to be on your show because, you know, we've had encounters on Twitter. I've really uh, enjoyed our back and forth. But uh, you also had Sam Rocha as a guest. So I feel really honored that you would ask me to be on your show. I'm in I'm in good company in terms of guests. I'm more in good company, but I appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Just going back, I always start these things out. We got acquainted, but I think we've had a uh, a lot of run-ins just mutually on social media. And on top of that, I always connect with a lot of dig- different educators. And so just having a lot of educators in different parts of the country, whether they be in higher education or you know public and charter school movement. It's always good. So I'm glad to always be around, um, you know, good faithful educators who are about, you know, justice and equity for our kids in the system or in, in you know, where we live at and the yeah. cities and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's get started, man. Um, so tell us about your faith journey at the beginning. Are you a cradle Catholic, a uh, convert or a revert? What's going on? Tell us how, how it began. Yeah, so that's interesting because I wasn't necessarily a cradle Catholic. Uh, I, I, in other words, I wasn't born into the faith. But uh, it, when I was born, uh, I was born to parents who were not people of faith. Uh, I guess I was a little hellion, a little heathen running around. Uh, when I was about five or six, my parents got divorced and they decided, you know, they didn't want kids, kids kind of. Uh, put a crimp in their social life. So they basically left us to live with, you know, our grandparents, my grandmother and my grandfather. And so my grandmother is the one who took us to church and, you know, we were baptized on her birthday, which also happens to be uh, constitution day. Uh, And it was, it was my grandmother who really instilled in me uh, my faith from a young age. Uh, so in terms of cradle, um, it's the first faith for me, really. And, and it has continued to be my only faith. Did your grandma ever teach you any valuable lessons that stick with you to this day in your faith journey? You know, that's interesting. I, I, I can't really think of any off the top of my head. But, you know, growing up, I went to Catholic school. Uh, just for a few years before going into public. But I also would go to CCD classes at our parish. And my grandmother was one of the CCD teachers. And uh, I I learned a lot about my faith from her, both in home, but also with her in CCD, like catechism classes. So let's go fast forward some years. What, What was the, you know, teenage, young adult faith like? How did that develop into now? Yeah. Okay. So when I was in high school, when I was getting to be a teenager, I went through the whole cliched, uh, moody teen. I wore black. 
<laughs> I listened to, to angry punk rock. I thought it was such a rebel. And so at that point for me, I really turned away from the faith that I had received from my grandmother. And I, it was just that rebellious spirit that I think most teenagers have developmentally. You know, I'm a teacher. I see it in my students all the time. They're, they're questioning everything. They don't want to necessarily just automatically believe what their parents tell them. And so I went into that phase. But I, I think I was also dealing with anger, you know, resentment from my parents uh, getting divorced and abandoning us. I was really uh, struggling with that. Uh, also at the same time, that anger would lead to violent outbursts, just really angry, depressed, moody. And so it was my grandmother who put her foot down and said, you know, you, you can't live this way. <laughs> you can't be away from the faith. You can't have this sort of uh, negative outlook on life. So she really encouraged me to uh, return to church, continue going to mass. And uh, one thing she did was put me into youth group. And so when I came into youth group, I sat down and I had a chat with youth group director his name was Jim. And then he proceeded to tell me his testimony. And hearing his testimony was really impactful for me. Um, I, I think as Catholics, some of us don't want to share our testimony because we think, you know, my story is not that exciting. I don't have this, you know, Saul being knocked off his horse on the road to Damascus moment, nothing dramatic. You know, I, I wasn't a drug addict you know, on the, on the side of a bridge about to jump off to my death, asking God for a sign, right? So I think a lot of us have that similar experience. And so we're afraid to share our testimony. Uh, so instead, a lot of us, I think, go into apologetics. Well, I can't really tell my story, but I can explain my faith. And so this is why, Efren, I really appreciate you and I appreciate your podcast because you're encouraging Catholics like myself, like others you've had on to share their testimony, to share their witness. And so the youth group director that I sat down with, uh, his testimony was so powerful. His was that, you know, come to Jesus sort of testimony where he had a gun in his mouth, ready to pull the trigger, basically. And uh, that's when he asked God for a sign. And sure enough, there was a sign and he had this major conversion experience. And that affected me enough to where I was like, okay, I'm willing to go out on a limb here. I'll, I'll go into youth group. I'll be part of this community here. And so I got involved in, uh, in youth group. But really the, the moment for me where I encountered Christ and I really gave my life over to him was at uh, youth day in Anaheim at the religious education conference. It was in, I think, the year 2000. And there's thousands of Catholics, teenagers my age, and Catholic speakers. And it was during praise and worship. Yeah, everyone has their hands up and they're singing and there's tears. Usually that's not for me. That's usually not my scene. But for whatever reason, I was really affected by the environment, the emotions. And so there was this moment where I, I recognized as the song, Our God is an Awesome God, was playing, yes, our God is an awesome God. And I, I really begged Christ to 
come into my heart and to transform my life, to bring me healing. And so I feel like I really did receive that healing. I was able to forgive my parents, um, really resolve the anger and resentment that was in my heart. And that eventually led to me having reconciliation with my parents and having reconciliation um, with my family, the people who I had wronged because of my, my anger and my depression, my, my negativity. But, uh, and then of course, you know, after high school, after youth group is over, I started college. And again, stereotypically falling away. And in my 20s, it was just this roller coaster of um, moments where I have faith, moments where I kind of stepped away. And this is also in the wake of the uh, sex abuse crisis. And so for me, it was like, oh, my own church is embroiled in this scandal it's so immoral and so evil that how can I listen to them? How can, how can my church teach me anything? And really that became a justification for me to do a lot of, to participate and engage in a lot of activities and make a lot of lifestyle choices that I could then justify, right? Because we'll look at the church. So, you know, by that standard, I'm doing a lot better than they are, you know, honestly. And so I went through a series of bad breakups, maybe drinking too much. Yeah, there were times where I was working two, three jobs. I was in college, part-time, full-time. It was a really busy time. And I didn't make time for prayer, for getting into the word, for going to mass, to having a relationship with Christ. And uh, it, it wasn't until the end of my 20s when, you know, I, I was really at rock bottom at that point. I, using alcohol to self-medicate, very depressed. I came out of a long-term relationship that was ruined and it's just another in a series of failed relationships. And I was just in a dark time. And this is when I encountered my uh, now wife, you know, we started dating and it was her example and her encouragement and support that nudged me back into the church back into faith, um, challenging me, get back in the word, you know, start praying. My wife is a non-Catholic Christian, uh, non-denominational, but uh, even her just challenging me as a Catholic on Catholic teachings really encouraged me to do research and to look into the apologetics. And that's where I came across, you know, Bishop Barron or Catholic Answers, you know, various Catholic authors like Brant Petrie or Scott Hahn, these people who really educated me in my faith. So um, I feel like I was the prodigal son, you know, who had wandered off, you know, and squandered my inheritance. And, and you know, the father was so good. Our, our God is an awesome God and he welcomed me back. Uh, and I went to confession for the first time in seven or eight years and started going back to mass. I became an usher. I, I was a youth group leader for a short time. And then I had, uh, my wife and I had our daughter. So I had to back out of that. But I, I feel like I'm back in the flock. You know, the, the sheep who went astray and the shepherd brought me back into the flock. And it's so amazing to be part of this parish community, um, to have the support online on Facebook, on Twitter with people like you. One of our mutual Twitter friends 
Rich, who is awesome. He did a whole story, I think, on Catholic Stand um, following the death of George Floyd, where he, he went to uh, the scene where George Floyd was murdered, basically. And he, he, you know, George Floyd, as we all know, was calling out for his mother uh, moments before his death. And, and Rich was praying the Hail Mary. And that was a really powerful piece that he wrote. And, and other people like Sam Rocha and just all these people um, who I know virtually, but we have this great faith community. Nonetheless, we're all part of the body and we, we lift each other up in prayer and in, in fellowship. And uh, it, it's such, such a blessing to be here with you today, Efren. Oh, really. So, um, man, you said a lot that could be expanded on more, but I think something I've always noticed in my life is that, you know, the role of women, supportive wives always leading their husband back to the faith or like guiding them to the faith. I think the role of women, that role in that way is like sometimes uh, undermine and like we don't pay attention to how vital women are to their husband that guiding them back to their faith but yeah 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 so when you mentioned you mentioned about the youth director he was mm-hmm. super pivotal in your life any other like uh eye-opening experiences whether they be like teachings or people who helped you along the way there are so many moments Efren, uh in my life where i have encountered Christ, or I've, I've encountered people who uh, reflected the, the glory of God and really have taught me a lot about myself and about my faith. But, uh, you know, this is going to sound maybe silly, but I have to say, as I was coming back into uh, the church in my early 30s, getting uh, reacquainted with the church's teachings and doctrines and uh, one of the people I really kind of was influenced by was then Father Robert Barron. Robert Barron, as you know, became the auxiliary bishop of the Santa Barbara region in the Los Angeles diocese, archdiocese. So Bishop Barron is my bishop because I live here in the Santa Barbara area. And so I've had a chance, I've had an opportunity to meet him several times. And the first time I met him was super powerful because I was able to sort of unload on him and let him know how much the Word on Fire ministry meant to me. I was just gushing like a schoolgirl, right? You know, meeting Zac Efron or something. But <laughs> but uh, he was so gentle and encouraging and he offered me a blessing. Uh, that, that to me was such a powerful moment because here was someone I had looked up to who had inspired me on my faith journey and I was able to encounter him in the flesh, you know, in person. And here's someone who is, you know, he, he's a successor to the apostles. He's a successor to someone who was a friend of Christ's and he continues uh, in his ministry to be a friend of Christ's. Uh, to, to me, that was really powerful, but I also have to really mention this. Um, just before I really started coming back into the faith, uh, seeing Pope Francis, listening to Pope Francis, reading his encyclicals, his exhortations, that was really powerful for me too, because even coming back into the church, there was a temptation to 
you know, reduce everything to a doctrine, to a teaching, to citing, you know, various church documents, you know, Thomas Aquinas or Augustine. These are all very well and good. Uh, this is part of our intellectual tradition. But Pope Francis really brought us all back to the kerygma, to the basic gospel message and really encouraging us to get back to our encounter with Christ and, and having a relationship with him in prayer and really putting our faith to work uh, in social justice and in, in putting uh, the poor and the vulnerable, right, first and foremost in our, in our work. Meeting Bishop Barron and reading uh, Pope Francis, those, those two right there, those, those have been memorable and important in my faith journey. I was going to ask you, were there anything that, um, anything specific that Pope Francis has highlighted that has influenced you, but you seem to cover that when you say that, you know, he has revitalized, you know, the church's, you know, mission to, you know, practice reconciliation with those most ostracized in society. So I think that's yeah. something that we can always, we should always do, because that's a work of mercy too. Yeah, I just want to add to that too, that, I don't want to be the, the person who's divisive on your podcast, but I really want to emphasize how you know, heartbreaking it is for me as a Catholic to see how much um, opposition has come against Pope Francis in the last you know, four or five years. And I think really that comes from the American church and from maybe the West in general, but uh, to me, that's heartbreaking. And I think people are really missing out on learning so much from this, this pastor who smells of the sheep. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think and during his pontificate, there has been a lot of, you know, maybe the tax and uh, smear against him. So I think we should always be vigilant on, on how we, um, what we say about the Holy Father and make sure we pay attention to his, his words and his example and how he leads. Cause those are important. Um, but yeah, the next question, you know, you've mentioned in your journey that you had these periods of fluctuations when you go up and down, up and down. Um, so what would you say to anybody who was discerning the Catholic faith? Like, what would you say to them is the, why should they join? Why be called to communion to the church? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. Um, you know, everyone has their own, I guess, pathway. There's always a door for everyone to enter into the church. For some people, maybe it's arts and beauty. For some people, maybe it is reading a book or listening to a talk. Others, you know, maybe, maybe it's a moment or an experience. But I really think the important thing first, I would say, someone considering converting to the Catholic Church, I would say, one, <laughs> ignore the infighting in the age of Pope Francis. I think that could be a stumbling block, just ignore that altogether. But two, get into the Word, get into Scripture, uh, read those texts that uh, sometimes get neglected by, you know, our Protestant brethren, uh, things like, you know, Matthew 16, 18, where, you know, he says, Peter, you are the rock upon which I'll build my church, right? And other texts, like in John 6, I believe, where it's the whole, um, 
the scripture that we base the Eucharist on, right? This, uh, my body is the bread, right, that you will eat. And so just read scripture, get into that, pray. You know, as much as we might think we can persuade or convince people to convert, um, when it boils down to it, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so really encouraging those people to, to pray and ask for that discernment to be, to be led in truth, to be guided in truth. And uh, yeah, that, that's what I would say to that person. Yeah, so now that we're going to the next part, what influenced you to um, be in education? It seems like you've been in education for a while. Um, yeah, what influenced you to get into that career? Yeah, so when I was in high school, I had several teachers suggest to me that uh, education might be a good path for me. And I had really good role models and mentors uh, who are my teachers as well. Uh, one of my teachers encouraged me to be a mentor and a tutor for a program called AVID, which is uh, a program that exists for students who maybe are first time generation college bound students. And so I did that for about a, maybe, maybe a year and a half. And I thought, okay, well, this is something that I might want to do. I might want to be a teacher. And so my friend, his mom was an assistant principal at a school. And so then she's like, hey, why don't you uh, come be a tutor at my school? And from there, uh, I applied. I got the job. And I was a tutor for a number of years. I did special ed as an, as an instructional aide. I did yard duty supervision. I did all of the uh, kind of classified, they might say classified jobs, uh, while at the same time going to college. And then once I got my uh, degrees, I double majored in history and English, and then I went on to get my teaching credential. From there, I got hired on as a teacher at the school where I had been a tutor and yard duty supervisor and the like. So for me, it was just a matter of, I feel like I'm maybe not the best communicator, <laughs> but I am, maybe I'm an odd duck, I'm a little weird. And for whatever reason, junior high school students just, uh, they listen to me. And I don't know if it, there's something about me that kind of resonates with them because when I was in junior high, maybe I was a little strange. I was kind of an odd duck. Maybe I still am. Uh, and I just have a passion for sharing information, teaching. I used to teach English and now I teach history. Those are both my passions. I love literature. I love U.S. history, world history. So it was just this combination of um, people encouraging me, mentoring me, and then also having a passion for, for service and education. Yeah. yeah so what are some challenges work, have you, you've encountered working in education? Education is difficult. So what's some uh, challenges you've experienced? Oh my goodness. Education is definitely one of the most challenging fields. Uh, and recently, I think the most challenging I've ever uh, dealt with has been distance learning in the, in the coronavirus pandemic that has just been absolutely insane. I, I, I wanted to be a teacher because I love the community, the school community. I love um, the students. But uh, this whole distance learning stuff, look, it's, it's the lesser of two evils, <laughs> right? I would rather do distance learning than have all my students in class with me and potentially 
spread the coronavirus. So yeah, I'll, I'll take distance learning. But it's a struggle to try to teach to a computer screen with a bunch of like Brady Bunch style boxes of people. And it's just not what I signed up for. It's really not. You just talked about the drawbacks. What are the, uh, uh, the benefits of working in education that you have? A lot of uh, benefits. So if it, if it was all drawbacks, I would not continue to be a teacher. Um, so for example, I've worked as a teacher for 10 years, but I've worked in my school for 17. Uh, and over these years, I've had students come through my classroom who were successful in high school, you know, earning the, the Gates Millennial Scholarship or, you know, going to Cornell afterwards. Um, and then they come back and say, hey, Mr. Rodriguez, you know, this lesson that you taught or this activity that you, you had us do or these words that you said were really impactful and infected my, my educational journey. Um, you know, I had one student who came back and said, Mr. Rodriguez, you know, you made us do skits and little plays in your classroom. And that inspired me to then go to high school and, and be in the drama club. And, you know, now I'm doing performances at the civic theater. So it, it's one of these things where you kind of plant seeds and then they, they blossom and flourish and they come back to you and they let you know like what impact you've made in their lives. Um, so to me, just being able to see the fruits of my labor. Um, yeah. In, in terms of long-term uh, but also like immediate, like when students are having a crisis at home or, or in some cases students run away or they fall with drugs and all kinds of horror stories you're there to support them and you see also immediately um, the, the, how it benefits their lives. You can be the person in their life who's predictable and safe and consistent. And, and that's just to me so powerful. I love it. Yeah, keywords, consistency and uh, plant, a seed planter and planting, mm -hmm. you know, positivity and lifelong experiences that's gonna shape them for the future is our tool you know, some of the, the best positive things out of education I've ever experienced. Um, yeah. So the last question, which is super vital, is how do you insert your Catholic faith as an educator? <laughs> That's a great question. Because I'm a public school teacher, and so I can't be explicit with my faith, obviously, in, in that setting. But I will say this, um, on my wall, I do have a, uh, a cross. I have a Franciscan cross. I also, on my desk, have a little statue of St. Michael, the Archangel, Archangel, like, you know, about to impale Satan. <laughs> and, you know, I walk around the room and I've, you know, I've got my rosary in my pocket and I kind of jingle it um, so they can kind of hear the beads. And my students, for the most part, they're Mexican-Americans, they're immigrants. Um, I also have a good number of uh, Filipino students. And so a lot of my students are Catholic. So maybe there's not an overt or explicit Catholicity. Um, when I look at them or when we engage, but they do see the signs. And uh, so for example, there was this ring that was found in the hallway at our school and there was a little cross on it. And they all assumed <laughs> that it was mine. And it wasn't, but they all assumed that it was because without being explicit, I guess, 
there are clues of my faith. Um, so aside from that, though, it's just being compassionate and, and being sensitive uh, to their needs and uh, just treating them all with, with mercy and, and just trying to be a, a good Christian witness to these students without being overt and explicit. So what you just said is that the students thought the ring was yours. So that must mean students yeah. think you are good. I mean, you must be living your faith and witnessing your faith in a, in a big way at school, don't you think? Not, I mean, I don't want to say that I'm <laughs> the best Catholic. You know, I'm definitely a practicing Catholic. I'm, you know, we're all practicing. Uh, but for sure, I, I think there's, there's something to be said about the way that I live my life the way that I um, embody my faith that uh, maybe is attractive or at least gives evidence of my faith. Yeah. Yeah, it is definitely powerful. And that's about, you know, being an ambassador. You don't have to be an ambassador for Christ by saying Christ all the time. You can be an ambassador through your, your witness and your words and your compassion and mercy. So that's definitely powerful. Um, well, yeah, that's going to conclude this episode. I definitely appreciate you coming. And some information that I copied down that I thought was super vital and was just re, re going back over. Um, you just mentioned the, the power, the importance of a witness. And I just think, you know, in our own, whether it be public or private, we should always be the best witness and ambassador for Christ. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, sharing our story of how Christ in the church it's like actively coming to us and working through us. As he said, he's the protagonist and we just, uh, we just uh, the canvas, but he, he's uh, the, the, the main character and, you know, he's illuminating and revitalizing and, um, you know, inserting all this grace into our lives. It's our duty to, you know, display that and project it off to everybody. Yeah. And then again, you know, Pope, Pope Paul, I'm sorry, no, Trafford. I was going to, jump in with a quote really quickly here that I think is so important to your point. Pope Paul VI said, modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers. If he does listen to teachers, it's because they are witnesses. Um, And I I think that is so true. I'm not just saying that because I'm a teacher, (laughs) but I I really do want to encourage you and I want to encourage your listeners, be a witness and share your story. Thank you for coming on the program and sharing your faith journey and what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. You guys tune into the next episode.